The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files and Podcasters for Justice are creators united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism that's been pervasive in our country since its inception, and we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black Lives Matter We believe that black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we witness it. In creating digital media, we've committed to using our voices to speak against racism and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. You'll find many resources in the show notes about how you can help. Thanks for listening. First of all, don't be so hard on yourself. Recognize that whatever you write is going to get rewritten. I still, to this day, I'm the boss. I'm now 43 years old. I've been doing this professionally for 14 years, 15 years. I'm in charge, and I write a script, and it gets rewritten. (laughs) So that's the... That's the process. Not everything needs to be perfect. It, need, it just needs to be your best in the moment. Greetings, scribes. You're still tuned into The Writer Files. And I'm your grateful host, Kelton Reed, sending you calm and healing during these trying times. This week, the writer, producer, and actor, best known for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and the recent hit Apple TV Plus show, Mythic Quest, Rob McElhenney took a timeout at the apocalypse to rap with me about how he runs his writer's room, his humble beginnings and admiration for the great TV comedies, and advice for aspiring TV producers. FX recently renewed his irreverent It's Always Sunny for a 15th season, making it officially the longest-running live-action sitcom in U.S. history. The multi-hyphenate's latest, Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet, is a comedy series that follows a team of video game developers as they navigate the challenges of running a popular video game. The Apple TV Plus show was co-created with Sunny alums Charlie Day and Megan Gans and has been described as the travails of a boisterous video game studio. Think Silicon Valley meets Veep. And a quick note on this one, even though I was lucky enough to catch Rob in his natural LA habitat, Sadly, the interview was cut short due to technical difficulties. 
Our apologies for the abrupt ending. In this file, Rob and I discussed how It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia almost didn't make it past season four. The inner workings of a perpetual creativity engine. How little episodic and streaming models of TV differ from a sitcom producer's perspective. His relationships with Danny DeVito and F. Murray Abraham. The evolution of It's Always Sunny and why it stays culturally relevant. And how the greatest indie production tool you own is in your pocket. Stay sane out there. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am privileged today to be joined by a national treasure, Rob <laughs> McElhenney's hopping on the show today. Thanks for taking time, man. This is a, a pleasure. Uh, I've never been called a national treasure, but I <laughs> like the sound of it. I yeah. like the sound of it. I felt, I felt like we should kick off the show with, <laughs> with kind of a, a, you know, an uplifting <laughs> message for America and for the rest of the world. But, you know, um, really, uh, it is a pl- pleasure having you on. I want to talk about all the things. Um, it's an, it's an interesting time in history, obviously, to be taking time to uh, talk about, you know, TV and the work that you're doing for Apple TV Plus right now, obviously your long-running career as a writer, producer, and actor. But yeah, let's dig into kind of uh, your superhero origin story. I mean, I'm really fascinated by kind of the, um, the humble origins of this incredibly long-running uh, show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and kind of, you know, your background, you know, I know, I understand like when the show kind of uh, took off, you know, it, it was, you know, it was a, definitely like an indie surprise kind of a hit, right? No, <laughs> it was not a hit by any stretch of the imagination, even from an indie perspective. I don't think anybody watched the show for the first four seasons. Yeah, um, we were in a constant state of. Um, I wouldn't even say we were on the bubble. I mean, literally, I would get I would get a call at the end of each season where John Landgraf, who uh, is still running FX uh, to this day, would say, uh, "Look, man, I, I just don't know if we can do it again." because we just don't have the numbers to support it, but I love the show. We love working with you and we'll get back to you. And then a few weeks later or a month later, they would call back and say, okay, we figured it out. We're coming back. And we would collectively breathe a sigh of relief and we'd come back and do another season. But the truth is nobody watched the show for a very, very long time. Amazing. Yeah. And, and the story behind it is incredible. I think, I mean, you were like working as a waiter, right? Like when the show, like during the first season still. Yes. Yes. So, um, during the first while I, while I directed the pilot, um, I was still working at, at, at the restaurant during the weekends. And then in between the pilot getting picked up and the series and making the series, I went back uh, to waiting tables because I, I needed the money and, uh, and waited to, and then waited to hear whether or not we were going to come back. But they picked us up for seven episodes, which and they had already paid us for the pilot. So there was really only six new episodes. And I was like, well, look, I I. I, I I want to make this show, but I can't afford to give up. If this doesn't work out, 
LA is an expensive place to live. I need to go back to waiting tables. So, so I was lucky enough that I had a, a boss at the time who, who allowed me to go and do that first season. And then I came back and continued to wait tables. As so many, uh, in, in Los Angeles do. And I guess, you know, um, the restaurant industry has, uh, is facing kind of a, a dark period after a, a long running kind of golden age. Right. it's really, really sad yeah. to see. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, as, as all industries are, are, are being hit, I mean, and the truth of the matter is that people assume that the entertainment industry is thriving because everybody's watching TV uh, right now and, and watching, you know, movies and Netflix, you know, from home. And wh- while that may be the case, the, the lifeblood of the industry are the crews. So, and the crews are not working. So everybody, you know, is, is from our industry, save for, you know, the, the, the 1% of, of the industry that make up, you know, the very successful actors um, are, are, are really suffering. And we're really endeavoring to get back as soon as it's ethically and, and, and medically uh, the time to do so. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, of course, we're all just kind of holding our breath literally and metaphorically um, for things to kind of return to normal. But um, yeah, I understand some of the big news recently was that FX did officially renew It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for a 15th season, which is just incredible news, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, the truth is we still love making the show. And if the audience continues to show up. We continue to be able to stretch ourselves. Uh, the network continues to want to make it and we all have fun. I don't know why we wouldn't just continue making it until one of those or all of those factors change. That's so cool. Well, um, yeah, let's talk about, um, kind of where you're at now in your career because, uh, it's definitely, um, a little bit of a departure for you, this new Apple TV plus, uh, program which is which is just a kind of a joy right now to be streaming during this really tense time but uh mythic quest raven's banquet which you uh co-created with charlie day of course and megan Gans. talk a little bit about that relationship how this this uh incredibly different show came to be and yeah kind of how you're feeling about um its evolution and of course it's been picked up for a second season now right Yes, yes. I, well, I, it started because I was, I was approached by um, this company, Ubisoft, which is one of the biggest game developers in the world. Yeah. And they, they said, hey, we're fans of Sonny and we, we'd be interested in, we, we want to do a show that takes place in the world of game development. And uh, I said, uh, no, thank you. And that's just, I just have no interest in that. <laughs> and they said, well, would you mind just coming up to Montreal and visiting our um, game studio. And, and at the very least I I thought, well, he's a free, I'd never been to Montreal before. It's a free first class trip up to Montreal. Maybe I'll just go up there, hang out, go to a couple nice restaurants and come home. And, uh, and I went up there and I walked in to the studio. And I think within an hour, I excused myself and I called Charlie and I said, I think we've got a show here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I got back to LA, I sort of just walked him through what my experience was. And we thought, we just started joking and pitching ideas. And, and then, um, and then we, we realized we were sort of limited with some of the things that we were exploring. And so we brought in Megan, um, Megan Gantz, who's one of our APs on Sunny, and asked her if she would be interested uh, in, in, in working with us and trying to figure out 
what this show could be. And, and that was sort of the process. And then we broke it and wrote it actually rather quickly because it was so, it was just so there. We just mm-hmm. recognized very early on, like there, it was, it, it was just ripe for the kind of show that we like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. I mean, there's absolutely like an absurdist quality to some of your writing and and comedy. And I mean, talk a little bit. I mean, obviously you star in the show, which is cool. But what's it like, you know, um, first, I mean, we'll get back to the beard. But uh, (laughs) I don't usually ask writers about their facial hair, but uh, we'll get back to that uh, fantastic beard. But yeah, like, what's it like um, writing and working alongside like F. Murray Abraham, who who's just just an incredible, you know, he's like an Oscar-winning actor, and that's some stunt casting, right? Um, n- well, no, it was interesting when when we when we wrote that character, we and we brought it to our casting director Jeannie McCarthy. We said, she said, well, who are like what, what, what would be the type? Like what type are you looking for? Like who would be an example of, of who you would want to cast? And we said, well, think of like an F Murray Abraham type. <laughs> and she was like, well, okay, I got an idea. What about F Murray Abraham? <laughs> and we were like, well, I just don't think he would do it. And she's like, I don't know. Let's see. So she sends it to him and I got a call that afternoon. No way. And he said, this seems very fun. I would love to jump jump on board with you guys. And that yeah. was it. By the end of the day, he was in. That's incredible. I mean, like, God, some of his his um, mannerisms are just so perfect. And, and you know, he plays, um, for listeners who haven't tuned into the show yet, he plays um, this, uh, you know, kind of like over-the-hill sci-fi <laughs> author 
who just who like who talks about the eighties. What does he say? Something like, um, well, the seven, the seven. He, he says, admittedly, <laughs> he he wasn't a hundred percent sure that he he knew Star Wars, what Star Wars was, <laughs> right? And we said, how would you not know Star Wars? And he said, well, admittedly, the seventies were a bit of a blur, and that's. <laughs> That's how he spent most of the mid to late seventies, um, and and he was this very successful. The, the character's name is C. W. Longbottom, yeah. and he was a very successful sci- science fiction writer in the early seventies and late sixties, and then um, took a turn for the worse because of um, various excess. And and I and my <laughs> character grew up reading his fiction and loving him. And when when he was developing his game, he wanted to bring in a writer of C. W.'s caliber, and so he brought him in. To, to help write the game. Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of a meta quality to it because you're kind of like breaking the game inside the show. Um, but yeah, that absurdist kind of... So, you know, I'm reminded of of some pieces of like Silicon Valley or um, Community or The Office, but then, of course, you layer on top this kind of... Uh, this team of video game developers um, as they're navigating these challenges. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, I thought one interesting part was that Ubisoft is uh, right best known for Assassin's Creed, right? So that's um, you know there are some you know, talk about kind of the structure of the show um, because there are pieces of you know obviously the video game within the within the game. Uh, talk a little bit about kind of how you conceptualize this whole thing. Uh, conceptualize the show itself or like episode to episode? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, go into like a day, a day in the life of, of, you know, kind of the, how does the writing take place? How does the writer's room work for you all? Um, and then of course you're, you're also having to produce and act and, and direct some of these episodes. So yeah, to like, like what's a day in the life of, uh, Rob McElhenney actually like <laughs> inside your brain? <laughs> so the writers, the writers' room uh, process uh, is just something that we've developed over um, the years of making Sunny um, that we've just noticed worked for works for us, and everybody's got their own process. Um, but we feel as though we have this this system that works well for us that um, that allows us to make the stuff we want to make and really work as hard as we possibly can while we're there in the rooms, but also to have reasonable hours where everybody gets to spend time with their family and friends and kids and loved ones and exploring what it really it means to be a human being and not just a writer sitting in a room for 15 hours a day banging their heads up against a wall. So our writer's room hours are usually like around 1030 till about 430 or five. Um, I find that anything after that um, it, it just becomes diminishing returns. Now, a- again, everybody's got a, a, their own process. And if, if so, I'm sure there are shows out there that I love where the writer's rooms have been, you know, 14 hours a day, every day for five months. I, and <laughs> that's wonderful, I, I suppose, for them. But that just doesn't work for me um, because I have other interests and, um, and things I want to do. So I, I try to make sure that we have, you know, a good solid five to six hours a day and we focus solely on what we're there to do and that that will vary depending on what stage we're we're at in the pro- in the process but the very beginning it just starts with uh the uh, like a probably a good 3 to 4 days of just free form conversation what are the themes we want to explore what are the things that might be funny 
what are the character dynamics that seem to be popping? Um, what relationships do we want to continue to foster? What's not working? What did we notice from season one that didn't really work out the way that we wanted to? And it's just like a freeform conversation. And then I'll kind of take all of that information and then slowly start to focus it into conversations about, okay, what are the overarching thematics that we want to explore? And then how can we execute these in a comedic way? That'll happen kind of like at the end of the first week. And then at the beginning of the following week, we really are trying to sit down and break out uh, a seasonal arc. Now, this is for Mythic Quest. For Sunny, we mm -hmm. don't do that at all. Sunny, we never think about a, a, a seasonal arc. I mean, very rarely do we think about that. We just think about each individual episode and create those episodes um, to the best of our ability in trying to continue to stretch and grow. Mm -hmm. But for Mythic Quest, we just take we just have a different um, a different process. Yeah. This is where our processes, the two processes, uh, split, and and then from from this point forward, you know, week two uh, on, we are just breaking down each individual episode, and I usually will will split the writers' room in half, and have Megan uh, Gans running one room, David Hornsby running the other room, and then I just bounce back in between. And then we start to craft what the what the episodes are individually. Yeah, yeah. And once those episodes are broken, let's just say it's the first two episodes, we'll probably move on to the next two episodes and and maybe break uh, six or seven episodes before we send writers off to execute those drafts because we want to make sure that it's all kind of jiving and that it's all working as an overall like thematic experience or na narrative experience. And then the writers will take a week, they'll execute their drafts, they'll come back in, and then we'll go through them. Do you, um, do you use a Bible? I know some, some uh, producers do, some don't. No. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how, that's, how, that would, how you would do that. But <laughs> again, every, everybody's got their own process. And no, I, I, don't, I don't use a Bible. Um, I, didn't, I didn't mean the literal Bible. Uh, you're not. Oh, no, that we use quite a bit. <laughs> On Sunny. On <laughs> yeah. we use that quite a bit, but on Netflix, that's not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, there's definitely um, a different, a different, uh, you know, style and to to writing comedy than to writing any other type of uh, certainly stream. You know, and this and do you find a difference between writing Sunny and writing Mythic Quest just from you know from the perspective of you know, uh, the streaming model versus episodic? No, no, not necessarily. I mean, it's still just about going in and, you know, banging your head up against the wall and, and trying to create something from nothing. I mean, it's truly the hardest part of the process. I can tell you that you, you walk in and you have an empty white, um, and, and yes, you have nothing but opportunity to fill that whiteboard, but the more you do, um, and the more, you start from a place of, of just pure potential, which is exciting. Uh, it becomes harder and harder to whittle that potential down into something you can actually execute. And, and that is by far the hardest part of the process of making a show, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Because once you're on stage with the actors, now, now you're just navigating how each individual human being is going to bring what they bring to the table based on the blueprint, which is the script, but creating that blueprint is where like the real work, uh, happens. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so talk about, well, before we talk about the, the quarantine uh, episode, which, you know, obviously was probably a huge challenge um, on a lot of different level, levels to create, uh, let's talk about the beard. So <laughs> the show opened, you've got this fantastic beard in the show, spoiler alert, sorry listeners. Let's talk about the grooming process. Is that a real beard? <laughs> First of all. Oh, I am I'm so offended that you even <laughs> ask me that. Of course it's a real beard. Of course it's a real I, beard. I saw the beard today, folks. I saw the beard today. Yeah, the only time it's not a real beard, I think we did one photo shoot where it was like well after production and I had to get that thing off of my face. <laughs> and so I said, hey, we just have to have a fake one because I can't grow that thing back. Uh, it's just disgusting. I mean, the amount of, the, I don't mind. I mean, I kind of keep a somewhat of a beard or facial hair all the sure. time, but the the length and thickness of it, it was just ca- catching so much food <laughs> in it. I mean, I just don't know how people navigate a normal lifestyle with something like that growing on their face. <laughs> um, did you use any uh, beard oil or grooming products to keep it? And check tamed, Manage, managed. manageable. I, I well, I sh- I shampooed I shampooed the beard every day. <laughs> um, and, but but then when we got to the stage, yes, our um, our hair and makeup team made sure that it was well oiled and manicured. It might be one of the best beards there. You know, yeah, wow, one of the best beards Thank on. You. Uh, Thank you on television today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But yeah, so um, let's talk about the challenges of, uh, obviously, you know, the industry had some some uh, fits and starts, but then, of course, everything kind of shuts down, and you're just trying to wrap your head around, like, what do we do, what do, we do for, the, for viewers? And um, yeah, talk about the, how, how this, this quarantine episode came to be. You know, we'll try to avoid spoiler alerts, obviously, for listeners who haven't seen the show. Uh, we're talking about the final episode of the first season of mythic quest um but yeah talk about this uh fantastically unique approach and um yeah some of the some of the challenges around it well yeah i mean we our, our, our original intention was just trying to figure out a way in which we could get the crew working again um and then also if we were going to do that how we could create an episode that felt like a premium experience and felt like it was uh, an episode of the show and we didn't have to apologize for the quality mm-hmm. of it and that we were using this interface as a creative choice, not just because it was a limitation. So that was our first approach. And then from there, we, we wrote the episode in about three days and then, um, we shot it over the course. I think from, I think from conception to delivery was three weeks. So we moved at an incredibly rapid Amazing. pace. Uh, and the reason we wanted to do that was to make sure that we were able to release the episode while we were all in this shared experience of quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the final product is is really, really. I mean, it's high quality television. So it kind of explores the <laughs> what you call like the hell of this. Um, you know, what a lot of uh, employees have moved to this. Uh, you know, the world of Zoom, as we were talking about earlier. 
And, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty hilarious that the, the overall finished product, uh, one of my favorites is, this will be a very small spoiler, but it's just, of course, um, CW, uh, saying after his frustration with, uh, the technology pieces, I'll just fax you. <laughs> It <laughs> was perfect. Yeah, we we knew that at the very least we wanted to bring look we're a comedy, right? So <laughs> we thought we thought at the very least let's bring something that's just funny, right? And and that can make people laugh um and bring a little levity, you know, to their lives if if only for 25 minutes. Um but at best we could maybe make people feel a little bit less alone and and recognize that people are struggling. Uh, in in so many different yeah. ways, including from a mental health perspective. But how do we do that in a way that doesn't feel um, pandering or too morose or feels um, like we're exploiting people's um, struggle? And then and then and, and that's why we got to the the, the poppy and iron yeah. moment about three quarters of the way through the episode. And then and then the final the final stretch the final sequence of the Rube Goldberg machine yeah. that was just a function of us trying to create something that felt triumphant. Yeah. Uh, and, and thematically, we were interested in, in showing something that, or at least exploring the idea that we were all collectively working on something together. And that if it didn't, if one section didn't work, that it would ruin it for everybody. So how, do, and, and, and the metaphor there is obvious, but how do you do that in a way that doesn't seem either heavy handed or preachy or just boring. Mm. So we came up with just the silly idea uh, of, of, of showing how we're all connected and that we're working towards this common goal. And, and because we've set up this thing with CW throughout the entire episode, you know he's coming <laughs> the whole time. You know he's coming, but it just doesn't matter because by the time he does pop on, it just feels triumphant. And that's what we wanted to leave people with was a sense of optimism. Amazing, yeah. Well, I would say uh, it was a triumph. Definitely, uh, listeners, check out Mythic Quest. And um, yeah, so it's on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, I'll talk a little bit about... Uh, are you still hanging out with uh, Danny DeVito at all? Or <laughs> what's that relationship like? Well, <laughs> hanging out with... You, well, we're, on, we're in quarantine. I'm not hanging out I with know. anybody. But, are you but Zooming with... I'm hanging out with my yeah. family. I talk to Danny. I talk to Danny at least once a week. Cool. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my best friends. I spend so much time with him. Um, whether we're whether we're working or not working, if we're both in LA, because um, he's always all over the world doing various things. When he's in LA, we we see each other quite a bit. That's cool, and that's a that's a really that's a great relationship. And and at what point did he come on to the show? Um, did he come on to Sunny? I can't remember which season that was. Was it the second season? Season, yeah, second, second season, second yeah. Season. Um, and those are those those early seasons are just comedic gold. From my from my uh, perspective, I, I love. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this those first couple seasons are just uh, amazing. And if you can find them, um, I'm sure you can. There's they're probably streaming everywhere at this point. But um, yeah, go back, dig back into those archives of Sonny they are hilarious um but yeah so yeah we i believe they're streaming right now they're streaming on on hulu, hulu so yeah. you can check them out on hulu and it's it's interesting to watch the if for anybody who's interested as a as a writer yeah. 
uh, to watch the evolution of, of, of what the show was and what the show became. And because of the nature of our show and because we're always trying to, to challenge ourselves and to explore hypocrisy from a, a sociological perspective, uh, that we're always going to be pushing like naturally or organically pushing the boundaries of good taste, first of all, and also, um, you know, things that feel uh, socially responsible from from our perspective. And, you know, there's you'll see how many things don't necessarily hold up to this to a standard where we find ourselves yeah. now. And truth of the matter is, it's not because we went into it with malice is oftentimes we would go into it with ignorance and we were still thinking we were doing the right thing from an ethical standpoint, again, from a, from, from a socially responsible standpoint. And, and then you realize like years later, you're like, Oh, we weren't. So how can we retroactively kind of fix some of those things? And I think we've done um, a, a pretty good job at that over the years. And we just continue to do that because look, we're, human beings who are continuing to evolve and grow and get a better understanding of the world we live in and our place in it. And when we started the show, we were 25 years old. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very specific experience of a 25 year old guy, uh, white guy, uh, straight white guy for that matter. Um, and, and then as, and still thinking, wow, we're pretty progressive. Like, of course we thought we were pretty progressive. And, and then you start to educate yourself or somebody educates you over the course of, you know, the, 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 the 14 years. And we realized like, oh, wow, we're, we, we, we feel like we've done a pretty good job, but not good enough. And we not, and we need to keep pushing and pushing ourselves to continue to open up our points of view and perspective and where we can make adjustments. We absolutely will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're still, I mean, your history and your, and your, your career as a writer, producer, director is really, really, really impressive. And do you have, are there, before we wrap up with kind of any, your, any advice that you want to offer to aspiring, um, scribes out there, do you have any, um, any, uh, influences you want to mention or even any programs that you're watching right now with kind of, uh, or, you know, some, something that's inspiring you in that world? Yes. Well, I, I can tell you, um, that, all of my inspiration has come from watching television. So when I was a kid, I watched a, a ton of television and mostly comedy. And what I realized was even early on, like in, when I was in high school, um, that it wasn't just that I felt like it was bringing me joy, which it was, but I felt less alone and felt like I was experiencing something with other people, even though I was alone watching it in my room. So every Thursday night I would tune into friends and Seinfeld and would feel like I was a part of something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at the, at the very least, that's just bringing, you know, an hour of fun into someone's life. And, and at the, and at, and at the best, um, it really feels like it's creating a communal experience. And I think because I was so obsessed with that, I wanted to try and like deconstruct all of my favorite shows and do whatever my version of that would be. Mm -hmm. And I think that in terms of inspiration, what I would implore anybody that's listening who wants to do the same, I would say, just go do it. So stop thinking about it so much and just do it. Make your show. Uh, the tr th this is the truth. And I, it sounds crazy, but it's true. 
um, the camera that you have in your pocket right now on either your Android or your iPhone is a better camera. It is of a higher premium quality than the cameras we shot season 10 of Sunny on. <laughs> That's amazing. So that means you, you have the technology to make something in your pocket. So go make it. Now, if you want to make, you know, Game of Thrones, well, of course, that's, <laughs> that, that presents its challenges. But I, if you're talking just about from a comedic perspective, which is just people in a room talking, you should go and make your show. Yeah. Just go make it because that's the best way in which you can, which you can express yourself. And just know this, it will be garbage. The first thing you make will be garbage. <laughs> and because the first, I don't know, the first... 20 things we made were garbage that we made sunny and we rewrote and reshot the original home movie of four times because, and we got better and better and better and better. And even that we reshot that fourth one, which was the one we took out to the town. We reshot again when we made it as a pilot. So you just, first of all, don't be so hard on yourself. Recognize that whatever you write is going to get rewritten. I still, to this day, I'm the boss I'm now 43 years old. I've been doing this professionally for 14 years, 15 years. I'm in charge and I write a script and it gets rewritten. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the, that's the process. Not everything needs to be perfect. It, need, it just needs to be your best in the moment. And if you can hand something to somebody and say, this is, th this is a fair representation of what I'm capable of doing. I am open to improving it. But I make no apologies for this because it's got to be somewhere in, in the middle. You have to believe in what you're doing, but also recognize that it can always get better. There's always room for growth. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.